want to start by saying thank you to whoever put this tool out for me. I know this has come to be known as mine in, I think, December, the first time I spoke, and I, I needed this. I had back issues, and it was hard to stand. And I just want to say today, thank the Lord, I'm free from that pain, and uh, I don't need that. But it's nice to have. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Fourth of July weekend, we celebrate our national independence. It's a little different this year. Our country is not looking like it did a year ago. Even six months ago, changes we never could have anticipated. And our country is divided right now. In fact, a lot of people, and you probably heard this said, our nation is more divided now than it has been at any time since the Civil War. And I think there's probably truth in that. It's not just right versus left, but it's black versus white and old versus young and rich versus poor and, and CNN versus Fox. And it's not pleasant. It's, it's not that divisions haven't existed in our country before. They always have been. But now, doesn't it seem like they're louder and angrier than what we've seen in our lifetime? To me, it seems that way. If you follow the news, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't follow the news, it might be because you know what I'm talking about and you grew tired of it and said, it's better for me to not watch so much. And maybe that was a really good choice. And if you're one of those not following the news, you're saying, please don't talk about this on Sunday morning. This isn't what we want to hear. And it's not what I've come to talk to you about. So I'll just sum up what I'm trying to say with this quote. I found this from Rob Winberg. And he says this, the one thing that we can all agree on is our growing inability to agree. The one thing we can all agree on is on our growing inability to agree that seems to be where we're headed as a nation on this 4th of July weekend. I'll add one more thing that I think we can all agree on. People from both sides of all of these national divides, I think we'd all agree this isn't a good situation. It doesn't make us stronger as a nation. It doesn't make us happier as people. And it's not just a national divide. It's not just Washington. It's our communities are divided, and for some of you, it means your families are divided over some of these issues, and that's not good. So in this age of division, what about the church? What about us? Because the good news is when I read the scriptures, I see that it is possible and it can be for the church to be united in a way that transcends all of those other differences. And I think we've seen that. I've seen that. And I just want to encourage you with three quick snapshots of the kind of unity that I've seen among brothers and sisters in Christ. First quick snapshot, white suburbians from the United States traveling to South America and working together literally right alongside Native Americans in building and in praying and eating and laughing and worshiping together are brothers embracing one another as brothers and sisters because that's what they are brothers and sisters in Christ second snapshot I've had the opportunity at different times to gather with believers who've come together from 40 50 different countries speaking all kinds of languages coming from all kinds of cultures but worshiping together with one voice, the same Lord and Savior Jesus. One more snapshot, and some of you have seen this one, and it's professional athletes kneeling together in prayer in front of thousands of people 
And they have different color uniforms. They have different color skin, but they worship and pray to the same Lord Jesus. And sometimes the camera catches a glimpse of that, and sadly, they turn away very quickly, as though it's something that they shouldn't show, when really that's what we need to see more of, isn't it? The point is that the unity that we share in Jesus Christ is able to transcend all of these other differences. That's the good news that we're talking about this morning. The sad reality is, though, that sometimes we allow those things to divide us. And I suspect that many of you have seen that happen, too. And I'll share two quick snapshots that I've seen. I was a member of a church in Florida that was arguing about the selection of the new senior pastor. The end of the story was that half of the congregation walked away. Many years ago, I was part of another church in another state, and there were a group of members who came to a congregational meeting, and they were unhappy, and they had a a litany of complaints that they poured out, and a month later, they were on the other side of town. They had their sign, their rented facility, and held their own services. And to see a church that you know and love experience that kind of split, or even just disunity within the local body is tragic, And if it's your church, it'll break your heart. And I think it breaks God's heart too. So today I want to talk about what can be the cause of a a church that's unified, breaking down into divisions and having quarrels, and what you and I need to do to make sure that never happens here at Point Way. And first I'd like to take just a moment, I think because it is commanded in God's word that we pray for our nation and this is the celebration of our independence, let's take a moment to pray for our country as well. Father, we thank you for the United States of America. And perhaps not as united as we would like to see, but you have blessed this nation, you poured out your grace, and we have this this relative peace and prosperity and security, and we thank you for that. And we pray for those that have been chosen to lead this country, for our president, for our Congress, for our governor and legislature, for local leaders who in these days are making difficult decisions in unprecedented times, and we pray that you would bless them, protect them, give them wisdom, that they might lead us and make the decisions that will be for the good of all. Father, we ask not just your blessing for this nation, but for this church. We thank you for how you've blessed Point Way, for wonderful friendships and for unity that we have in Christ. And we pray today that we might grow to appreciate it more and work more diligently to preserve it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Pastor Charlie's been walking us through 1 Corinthians And today, as he spends some family time back east, I'll just pick up where he left off. We'll be in just a moment. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And first, I want to take just a quick review back to chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, to remind us that Paul had heard this report coming from the church in in Corinth that there were some divisions, there were quarrels going on. And he said, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollo. I'm going to give a little, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And I want to give a little background as to what's going on there, because it'll be important when we come to chapter 3 in just a moment. Paul was a church planter. 
He was the first one who came with the gospel. As far as we know, there, there was no church in Corinth before he arrived in the year 51, and probably not even any believers in the city, maybe a few scattered ones. But when Paul left a year and a half later, there was a church that was established in the city of Corinth. Apollos came next. He was from Alexandria. He was Egyptian, and he was a very gifted speaker, something that the Greeks loved. And he had a very different style than the founding pastor, Paul. If you were here last week, I wasn't. We were wonderfully celebrating our son's wedding in, in Nebraska. But Pastor Charlie would have been speaking from chapter 2, where Paul talks about how he did his ministry. and was very different from Apollos. He said he did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And he said that he was actually there in weakness and fear and much trembling, and his speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom. In other words, he wasn't impressing anyone with his oratory style. It was simple words, simple message that he was communicating. It's not that he couldn't have he says to them. He had the intellect to do that, but he wanted to focus on one thing. He said this, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The simple message of Jesus, the simple message of the cross. That's what he came bringing. Well, after he left, then comes Apollos, and he brought in all those other things, the lofty words and the wisdom. And I'm sure that when Apollos got up to speak, there was no fear, there was no trembling, there was no weakness. And then apparently Cephas comes along, who, by the way, is also known as Peter. And he must have left some impression with some of the people. And so the division that was going on in Corinth, what was it? They were arguing about their favorite preacher. That was the source of disunity, the guys who were preaching. So keeping that in mind, I want us now to go to chapter 3. And here's where Paul comes back to this issue of unity, and I encourage you to have a Bible open or to have a Bible app to be able to follow along. Thank you guys for putting the verses up here, but sometimes it's helpful to see them in their context as well. So we'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. Paul first came to Corinth and he gave very simple, clear, basic foundational messages about Jesus and the cross. And he compares that to a warm bottle of milk that you give to a baby. Because he says they weren't ready for solid food. And that's to be expected because they were brand new in the faith. It was just getting started. But now it's five, six, seven years later. He's writing to the same Christians. And he says, you're still not ready for solid food. You're still not mature. And the evidence, what convinced him that they weren't ready for solid food, that they were still immature, were those divisions. They were arguing about their favorite preacher and their favorite style of, of teaching. Verse 3, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Some were saying, I really like the simple, clear message of Paul, and he's my favorite. And others were saying, no, Apollos, he's so impressive, and he really gets deep, and that's what I like. And Paul says, 
That's not spiritual talk. That's fleshly. That's immaturity. So the first lesson that we can draw today is this. Disunity in the church is evidence of spiritual immaturity. If you see disunity in the church, somewhere behind that there is immaturity. You've been around on Sundays, you know, Pastor Charlie's been talking about focus. I see he left the binoculars up here. I tried these. I can't see anything. I don't know what he's talking about with those. But he's been talking about focus because the problem in the Corinthian church was that they had lost their focus on Jesus. They were looking at personalities and styles and, and their own preferences, and it was getting them off track. Because focusing on personalities and styles will lead to disunity. Focusing on Jesus brings us together. Think about this. As far as we know, the Corinthians had only heard three speakers. They had heard Paul, they had heard Apollos, and they heard Peter come through. And that was all it took for them to get into fights about which one did the best job. Turn that to today. How many speakers do we have opportunity to hear? If you've got access to internet in your pocket, if you've got a computer at home, you can hear literally thousands of different speakers, some very gifted ones. How much more could we fall into those kinds of disputes? And I have seen, I don't know if you've seen it, some Christians who become very enamored, excess, and they start to go with a certain teacher or preacher or church or style of ministry. And they start to sound sort of like the Corinthians, if you listen. You know, I'm a big fan of Francis Chan. I can't get enough studies from Beth Moore. I follow, and you can fill in the name of the person that you like the most. You, maybe you want Pastor Charlie, you wish you'd speak more like Charles Stanley. Or some of you wish you'd speak more like Andy Stanley. And we all have our preferences. And if we get so wrapped up, we can get distracted, lose our focus. And that's immaturity, and it impacts the unity of the church. You know what mature Christians do? They say, we're going to let Pastor Charlie be Charlie because God made him unique with talents and gifts. And our job as mature Christians, we recognize, is to come on Sundays and not be critics. It's not to be uh, giving a grade to the sermon. It's to listen to God's Word and pray that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, might put into practice what He's saying to us. That's maturity. And I don't want you to understand that there's anything wrong with listening to, to speakers outside. That's actually a very good thing. We have wonderful access to good teaching. We've got Christian radio, the, the Word, uh, the church has a service here that if you're not familiar with right now media, you need to ask the guys back in the sound booth about that. It's the Netflix of Bible teaching and Bible studies, and it's great resources. And some of you, I suspect, during the time that we weren't able to gather here on Sundays, you were looking online. And you found there's some great churches, there's some great teaching, and it's good to take advantage of that, but to keep it in perspective. And remember that guy that you're watching on your smartphone? He's not your pastor. Charlie Bolstridge is your pastor. And he'll be the first to admit that he doesn't have the same kind of teaching gifts of these guys that are nationally known. There's a reason they're nationally known because not even one in a thousand pastors can match their talent and their communication skills. But one thing you need to remember is that Charlie will do things that those guys will never do. He will know and pray for you by name. 
He will visit you when you're in the hospital. He will sit with you in the funeral home because he is your pastor. And so remember that, please. Beware of the unhealthy comparisons. They're so easy to fall into these days. We come on Sundays, we hear God's word, and we say, Lord, help me to put it into practice. That's maturity. Also, I want to clarify here, I'm not saying that if we're all mature Christians, we'll never have any differences. We have them, and we will. But as mature Christians, we should how things them well. And I think just as we're talking about the, the church and how things are done, if, if, if we were to do this exercise, especially if we had the whole church family here, and, and have everyone write down the five things that should never change about Pointway Church, and everyone write down after that the five things I would like to see most changed about Pointway Church. There would be a lot of common things on our lists if we compared them. There would also be a lot of contrary things on these lists if we compared them. And some of the things on your never change list would be on somebody's first things we need to change, and some of the things you want to change would be on the never change list of someone else, and that's okay. But mature Christians know how to deal with that well without losing our focus. We don't get distracted into petty discussions and arguments about the things that are so unimportant. Immature Christians do. And sadly, immature Christians sometimes are willing to go to the point where they will harm or, or even risk the unity of the church to get their way on a certain preference. That's what was happening in Corinth. And that's what we never want to see happen here at Point Way. So what do we do? Be mature. Seek to grow in your relationship and your understanding of Jesus Christ in such a way that when, when, when these conflicts arise, and they will arise, that your response will be one that is mature and focused on Jesus Christ and the things that matter eternally, not the things that don't in the end matter. So Paul corrects this wrong focus that was dividing the church. And then he goes on and he shows them a better way to understand these differences in style between uh, himself and Apollos. And it's helpful to us as well. Uh, verse 5. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. Servants through whom you believed the growth were assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, that's Paul, nor he who waters, that's Apollos, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. They're not against his wages according to his labor. In other words, God will put the grade on the ministry of each one. You don't have to do that. That's not your job. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He says, a church is like a field that's planted, and I'm the one who planted the seed, and I sowed it and gave start to this church, and then along comes Apollos, and he cares for it, he waters it, and he weeds it, and we've done our part, but the growth that took place, that's all due to God. And he says, we weren't anything in that process. God could have used anyone to do that. And he also says that we are one. We were working together for the same cause in different ways with different abilities and different styles, but the same purpose, the same Lord. 
So they were never in competition with one another, never seeking glory for themselves or to be puffed up or to have people's support simply to see the church grow. For us, the lesson is this. God uses a diversity of styles and talents and gifts to make his church grow and the thing that we should celebrate. Thinking of another aspect of our church is very important when we come together, and that's worship. We have... Thankfully, I thank God for the talented musical people who work and prepare to come up and lead us in worship. And having diverse teams in a rotating basis means different styles. And there are some that have more experience leading than others. There are some who have more musical talent than others. There are some who choose songs that you like more than others do. But they're all doing the same thing. They're all here to lead us to worship God. And for us to fall into the trap, it would be a a very immature thing for us, but I know that it's a temptation sometimes to take that first half of the worship service and be thinking, you know, I I wish that team that was up last week or the week before could, could be up this Sunday again. And we have those preferences, but when I do that, suddenly I've lost track of my purpose in worship. Those who come up here to lead us in worship Wow, what was that? I'm falling apart. Those who lead us in worship, that's their job, to lead us in worship, which means our job is to follow them and worship. Not to be thinking about the music and how it impacts me, but my heart and am I expressing my love to God? Am I declaring His glory? And so I thank God. Thank you to those of you who work hard at leading us in worship. You're a blessing to us. You know, if after the service, I don't know all the conversations, but imagining if we had one table over here where people were saying, I wish the music were a little louder, a little faster. Another table over here, and they're saying, I wish the music were a little slower, a little quieter. So I'm saying, we should do more new songs. We should do more old songs. It leads to disunity. And you might think, well, that's an exaggeration. The church isn't going to split over that. But in my lifetime, what has been the issue that has caused more tension within local churches, if not the selection of music? And what is that? It's evidence of immaturity, that we've lost our focus. We're looking at the wrong thing. Now Paul goes on and he uses this illustration of the church as a field that was planted by him and Apollos watered. And he says this, he says, you are God's field, you are God's building. He changes the metaphor now from a a farm to a construction site. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, at some point, someone laid that foundation of Jesus in your life. That faith and that that foundation is where you are now building upon that foundation of faith in him. Maybe it was your childhood pastor. Maybe it was a, a, a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it was a friend who shared the good news with you. But that became, the, this faith in Jesus Christ became a, a solid 
immovable, all-important foundation for your life. And the question then is, how do you build upon that? What are you building? And how are you doing it? And what will last? In verse 12, he goes on to say, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here's the picture. You hired a contractor to put out the foundation for your house, and there it is. It's level, and it's square, and it's solid, and that foundation is going to be around a lot longer than you will on this earth. But now your job is to build, and how are you going to build? What are you going to use? And you can go ahead and you can use wood, hay, or straw to build your house on that foundation. But if you've ever heard the story of the three little pigs, you know better than to do that, don't you? Because the house will endure according to the materials that you choose. And in this case, it's not going to be the big bad wolf that comes huffing and puffing and works with your house down. It'll be Jesus who returns. To test our works with fire to see what survives into eternity. And for those who build well on that day, it says there will be a reward. There will be reward for those who build with gold and silver and precious stones. And that's a picture of things that are of value, things that last into eternity. Something that goes beyond this day, beyond this year, beyond this life. And the truth is that very few things do last beyond this life. So if you have Jesus as the foundation of your life, are you building well? And there are different ways to do that. Invest in the next generation. Pass on the faith that you've received to, the, to young people, not just in your family, but here in the church, the ministry to children and youth are so important because they will carry on the ministry of the Lord long after we're not here. Sharing the message of Jesus with those who don't know. Those who believe their eternal destiny will be changed. What could be of greater value on that day when all of this is gone and only we are standing before the Lord? So those who build well will stand before the Lord and they'll have that reward. They'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll be greeted by those who are in heaven because we've invested our lives well here. But on the other hand, the picture is that there are believers who have spent their lives on things that won't last. Earthly pleasures, accumulating wealth, not necessarily even evil things, but things that have no eternal importance. And on that day, they will stand before Jesus and they will see everything that they've lived for go up in smoke and be left in a pile of ashes. And they'll be saved on that day by the grace of God but they'll have nothing to show for a life's work. Nothing lasted into eternity. So the lesson for us is to invest our lives in building the things that will last for eternity. If that day came today, would you be hearing the words of commendation from the Lord? Or would you be looking at a pile of ashes? 
I think it's a good, I, I encourage you to, to, to reflect on this and even to take the question to the Lord and saying, Lord, what am I doing with my life that will last beyond me, that will last for eternity? And then have a conversation with them. Some of you will be encouraged. My life is making a difference. Some of you will say, we need to make some changes here. Have the conversation. Have the eternal perspective as to how you're building upon your faith in Christ. I want to talk about just two more verses today, and the rest of the chapter will be Pastor Charlie's next week. Chapter 3, verse 16 comes to us. It's a rhetorical question. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? When Paul says, Do you not know, it's his way of saying, Guys, you know this. We've talked about this. This is really basic, okay? You are a temple of God. And those of you who have been taught the scripture, this is pretty basic for you too. You've heard this, and, and, and it'll come later in chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says that, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and he lives in us. And so the idea is that you, you are his temple, and you are his temple, and you are his temple, and I'm his temple, and you're his temple, and we're all temples, and the Spirit dwells in us. And the application of that is then we need to take care of the temple. We need to take care of the body because it's for his honor and glory. But that's not what this verse is saying. It's actually saying something very different. Because in verse 16, what, what it's saying here is that all of you together, this is you all here that we're being talked about. In fact, I think the NIV says, says the word together. And so it's saying, so yes, you or we all together are the Spirit's temple. So yes, there's a sense in which my body, your body are temples, but this is talking about us together as being the temple, the dwelling place of God. And the Bible says we should know that. That should be obvious. Do you not know? Do you not know that you're a temple, God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? But then verse 17 comes with a warning. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The Bible says that God will destroy anyone who destroys his church. Those are sobering words. And I, to me, what they say is that God takes disturbing the peace in the local church very, very seriously. And I want to explain this verse as best I can. It's a little difficult because there's no more explanation given to us. But here's what I understand. What's meant by destroying the church? Well, in the context, I think it has with believers who are immaturely harming the unity of the body because they're so set on what is important to them that they're willing to divide the church over it. They sacrifice the unity and the love of the body of Christ in order to get their way. That's the context we're talking about. I think that's what's meant by destroying the church. And so the lesson for us that, that, that should cause us to step back and be very cautious about what we say and how we act in the church is that those who harm the unity of the church will be held accountable to God. What kind of accountability? It says that God will destroy such a person. That's a, a serious phrase. What does it mean? I want to say, first of all, what I don't believe it means. All right? 
We know from the clear way of Scripture that those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ are saved because He's washed away our sins. He's taken away all of our sins. And so I don't think this is saying that if I gossip or criticize in a way that hurts people in the church and causes division, that I will be held eternally accountable in, in, in judgment for that sin. In fact, I think I could it would be possible for someone even to selfishly, intentionally divide the church over something they're very passionate about, and they would, by God's grace, in the end, still be saved. I, so I don't think this is talking about being destroyed in the sense of eternal condemnation. What does it mean? I can't tell you because there's no explanation here, but I can tell you this much. I never want to find out. I never want to be in a situation where I find out what that means because I have, because of my own immaturity and my own preferences, caused division in the church of God. And so I'm extremely careful to not let what I want break down the unity of the body of Christ. If you ever find yourself in a position where you're thinking about doing something that might risk the unity of the church, this church or any other, for some personal preference you have, I want you to remember this, please. First of all, look in your heart. There's some kind of immaturity there. Second, it means that you've lost your focus on Jesus Christ. And third, remember this, you will give account to God for that. Don't go there. God, we all, we all are passionate about something, right? We have something that we really like to see happening or something that we really don't like that's going on. We really like to change it. We're passionate about that. Remember this, God is passionate about the unity and the oneness and the fellowship of his family. So be careful. Because those who harm the unity of the church will be held accountable to God. That's what Paul had to say to the Corinthians when they were having their quarrels. What God has to say to us this morning. I'm not here saying this because I believe that there are issues here going on. There are probably some things in the background that I don't know about. There are attitudes in hearts. But this is God's word for us today. And may we, by His grace, be the unified, loving church that shows the kind of unity that we become for someone the snapshot of what the church of Jesus Christ can be in oneness and love and acceptance because there's a nation full of people out there that are tired of disunity. May they come here and find the love of Jesus among us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son to redeem us and to bring us into a family. And Lord, it's a big family and it stretches all over the world. And we've been to places and found others of like heart and mind and we've sensed that unity with them. And yet here you've gathered this family in a very intimate way to work together with a focus on Jesus, to bless our community. And Lord, we pray that nothing would divide us. Nothing from the outside, nothing from the inside, nothing from our own hearts or mouths that would harm this beautiful gift of unity that you've given to us. 
So cause us to grow. Lord, thank you for those who planted in our lives. Thank you for those who are watering in our lives. Bless Pastor Charlie this week. And Father, may you give us growth that others would see in us the love and the unity of the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.